0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Amen. I'm gonna to be in Jeremiah chapter 13. It's about halfway through a paper Bible, Jeremiah. Oh, chapter 31, not 13, 31. Uh, we're gonna talk about covenants today. I'm just spilling the beans. What we're going to talk about right up front, because as I was thinking about the topic, for many of us, if you are married and you uh, went through a Christian sort of marriage ceremony, they likely would have brought up the concept of this is a covenant marriage. And so uh, I'm just celebrating our. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 27th wedding anniversary because she's amazing. Uh, 27 years ago when my wife and the pastor who was marrying us described, hey, you're going to enter into this covenant, I was not a Christian, but my wife was really cute, and so I said, okay, that sounds amazing, this covenant thing. And now uh, that I am a Christian and I've learned what that is, it makes so much sense to me, but it's uh, encouraging and challenging and lovely. Right, to have a covenant, which we're going to define here in a minute, it takes a really high level of commitment. And even now, uh, my wife and I are uh, empty nesters. How many, are you, are you anybody empty nesters? Yeah, uh, I've learned, I think my wife would agree with this, we have learned more about one another in the last six months than we have in the last 15 years combined right? It's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, there's some challenges in there, but it takes a high level of commitment to stay married forever. And don't pray for, like, we're doing well, that's not to, that's right? We're, we're doing great. And when I, was asking, uh, when I was asking, I asked quite a few people this week, so if you think about a covenant, think about marriage, how would you define the word covenant? So I asked some folks, they had some good answers, probably answers that I would have given Right, it couldn't be a promise. Somebody said it's like Elmer's glue. (laughs) I had to lean into that one a little bit to find out what they were talking about. But the definitions were sort of all over the place a bit, and I thought uh, that it might be wise at the top end of this message to give a good definition for what a covenant is. And it's going to provide a thread for us throughout the whole morning. So this is actually a fill-in Uh, right at the top of the message. But here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a relationship between partners who make binding promises and work together to reach a common goal. There's a few fill-ins. I'm going to give you time to fill those in. We're going to keep this on the screen for a minute because if you think about marriages entering into a covenant, you sort of can understand what this looks like. A relationship between partners, a husband and a wife, make binding promises. So if you've ever been at a Christian marriage ceremony, they talk about a covenant of marriage, then usually afterwards, the husband and wife start declaring all the things that they will do for the rest of their lives. I will do this, and I will do that, and I will do Those are the binding promises, and they work together to reach a common goal. So, the common goal in marriage is to take the best things from both sides of the relationship and explore those things throughout the rest of your life to be married forever and to bear one another's burdens. There's a common goal. So, that's what a covenant is a relationship between partners who make binding promises work together to reach a common goal. So, if we think about that in marriage and a covenant, and the common goal is to be married forever, what do you think the top reason for divorce is? When I asked that question as I was considering it, I, I would have thought like two or three different things at the top of the list. But the most recent statistics that I found are going to come up on the screen. You probably can't read it because the print is very small. But top reasons for the divorce, number one is lack of commitment. Lack of of commitment. Now, it's, okay, it's obvious, right? If you're not committed, you're probably going to get a divorce. That's sad, right? The divorce statistics in the United States are just sad overall. But an understanding of lack of commitment is number one. I think we are living at a time, maybe you disagree with me, but I think we're living at a time where our understanding on what commitment really is, is declining, not just in marriage, what I'm sensing and noticing is that our level of commitment as a, as a community, not just the vineyard, but as, as the people around us, is declining as well. People are waiting until the absolute last minute to commit to something because maybe some other choice might pop up later. People are not holding their commitments like they did previously. Does anybody else, raise your hand if you do agree that the level of commitment in the world today is declining? Okay, most of, many of us. So with that in mind, what, what I think God poked me with a month ago or two months ago when we were talking about. What are we going to teach on in this series called Unchanging, where we're talking about the unchanging nature of God, our yesterday, today, and forever God? I think God nudged me to say, you got to talk about my covenants. You have to talk. In a world that is struggling to fulfill their own commitments, you have to talk about, I am a committed God. And so we're going to talk about the covenants of God, what it means, what it meant, and what it means for us today. And so God, if you didn't know, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this. God makes covenants with people. But let me give you a, a, a few examples. Genesis 17, he says this. He said, this is God speaking, I will make, a co- I will make you a very fruitful, I will, make you nat- I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my Covenant, that's our word this morning, as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. When God makes covenants, he makes covenants that are everlasting. He goes on in Judges 2, makes another covenant. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. In Psalm 89, it describes God's covenant, and he says, I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. God's level of commitment when he makes a covenant is through the roof. It's unending. It's unbreakable. And I think in that commitment and covenant that he makes with people, I've learned quite a bit over the last week and a half, as I've dug really deeply into this, how great those commitments are, and that we're actually invited into something. It's changing the way I see God, and so I want to share those uh, with you this morning. I'm going to be in Jeremiah 31 to give you a little bit of background in this text. There's been some covenants that God's made with people, and they've not worked out great. We'll learn about them more in a few minutes. But we're at a time that God is using a prophet, he's using another man named Jeremiah, and he's talking about a new covenant that's coming up. So in Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, it says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Isn't it interesting that even when he's talking about his old covenants, he's talking as imagery of marriage. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. In that text, we're talking about old covenants, a new covenant. It's time to learn about God's covenants. In a world that sometimes fails to keep commitments, let's learn something from this text. And before I jump in, I want to pray specifically about some things that I'm learning. So will you pray with me? So, Father, we, uh, we come to you, I humbly come to you. In this text, I, I, do, uh, I do see some things that I think are helpful to us, Lord, and so would you open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear your message. So help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's what I see. God's approach, you can write this down on your handout if that's helpful. God's approach to covenants shows his relentless pursuit of partnership. His relentless pursuit of partnership. In verse 31 of the text that we read this morning, Jeremiah is sharing this from the Lord. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, I will make a new covenant. So we hear about something new. And then he goes on and he says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. So just an image, we've got old covenant and we've got new covenant. Now remember, look at the definition on your handout. Really look at it. Let's remember what the definition of a covenant is. A covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. God is committing both in Old Testament, or, uh, Old Testament, Old Covenant promises, and New Covenant promises. He's committing to be a good partner, to work together for the common good. Isn't it interesting? He's looking for partners. We talk about God as a, a friend, as a father, as a good God, but rarely do we talk about Him as. A partner. But in a covenant, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for a partner to work together for a common goal. So what's the common goal for God that he's looking for? Well, we're going to look at several covenants, but essentially he's saying, I've got some really good things that I want to get on the earth, so you people, will you help me in that? And so he makes these covenants. Now, if you asked 50 Bible scholars how many covenants there were in the Bible, we would have probably 25 different answers. But in the Old Testament, there's four major covenants that I think are helpful to get a picture of where we're going. And so uh, here's the four major covenant partnerships in the Old Testament. Just as an example, here's, here's one of them, Noah. Some of you know this. There was a time that people were being knuckleheads, to the point that God got tired of it, he flooded the earth, killed everybody except Noah and his descendants. And so Noah and God uh, have this exchange. In Genesis 9, it says this. God says, I'll establish my covenant, there's the word, with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God makes a covenant with Noah. What's interesting about that is Noah didn't have to do anything. Like it was a one-sided partnership, but it was a covenant that will never be broken. Later in the Old Testament, we run across a man named Abraham. Some of you know this, so I won't read the scripture, but I'll give you an idea. Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, but there's an expectation on the other side of the partnership that you would follow what God is saying. So the common goal is, I'm going to make you into a great nation because He, God, has a whole bunch of good stuff that he wants to get on the earth for his people. So he makes a covenant promise with Abraham. And then Moses, some of you know this one where Moses goes up on a mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments from God. There's this exchange. There's a covenant in there. It's actually a covenant with the nation of Israel. And essentially it's God saying, you obey this law and I will bless you as a nation. And then in 2 Samuel 7, there's a man named David, and God makes a covenant with David. Essentially says, partner with me, follow my law, and I will bless you, and you will continue, there will be a kingly reign in your line to help the earth. Four major, not all, covenants. But what do we find in Jeremiah 31? Let's go back to our teaching text today. It says this, they... Broke my covenant. Who broke the covenant? Did God break his covenant? One person is tracking with me. I'm going to ask this group. I know this is a hard one. Did God break the covenant with the people? No, it was the people who broke it. Think of it this way. Have you ever experienced in your life somebody breaking a promise with you? Yeah, some of us have, right? Here's a silly one, like, hey, let's meet for lunch at Panera at noon on Thursday. And then you go noon on Thursday, right? And the other person, is like twelve fifteen. the other person doesn't even call or text, they just don't show up. That's frustrating, right? Somebody's, somebody's broken sort of a promise. Take that up a notch. Has anyone ever experienced being in a contract with someone where they broke the contract. I, I had, uh, I've had several of these over my lifetime, but I had one. My mom was sick. We were dealing with some of her estate stuff. And, and there was this one uh, contract that we were working with with another party, and it was it, they were about ready to break it. I wasn't frustrated like a broken promise. I was mad. Like, I was apoplectic. Look it up later. Like, I was... I was angry. You break a promise, I'm frustrated. You break a contract and people can get mad. Take that up one level further. If you break a covenant, use marriage. You break a covenant, you'll change a life or lives. You're no longer the same. Things have been ripped apart in such a way that it hurts and there's pain involved. It's no wonder when we read the Old Testament when God is upset with his people because they have regularly broken covenants. It's given me handles for some of the anger that God shows in the Old Testament. It says this in Isaiah 24:5, God speaking through a, another prophet. He says, The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. In Psalm 78, it says, They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Here's the reality of what happened with the old covenants. God's relentless pursuit found his people relentlessly falling short. You can write that in. God's relentless pursuit found his people relentlessly falling short. But God's still pursuing, right? You look at the old covenant, and what do we see? God's approach to covenant shows his relentless pursuit of partnership, but it doesn't end there when we don't hold up our end of the deal. The other thing in this text in Jeremiah 31 that I see is God's approach to covenant shows his willingness to bridge the gap. His willingness to bridge the gap. Back to our text, Jeremiah 31, 31. God is speaking through Jeremiah and it says this. He's talking about this new covenant. He says, this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. And he goes on at the end and he says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. See, the old covenant law was written on stone tablets put in an ark that they called the Ark of the Covenant. It was an external thing to follow. The new covenant, God said, is not an external thing, it's an internal thing. I'm going to write my law in their minds and I'm going to give them a new heart. Ezekiel, another prophet, shares it this way when speaking about the new covenant I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, I will remove from you your heart of stone give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So what is the new covenant referring to? The new covenant is referring to God sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sins and your sins so God doesn't see those anymore. And then we get a new heart, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's a summary of the invitation to a new partnership in the new covenant. It's important to note, just so I can share how amazing God is. If we look at the old covenants that I talked about that God had made, with three of the four people. Remember, Noah, if we put the list back up, Noah, we didn't have to do anything. But what God did, he's so amazing, is he sent Jesus... To not only die on a cross for our sins, but to fulfill the other three covenants. Because the promise was, Abraham, you and your family are to follow my guidance and I will bless you. If you look at the family line from Abraham to Jesus, Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Which means he was sent to fulfill what people messed up. Same thing with Moses. Moses. Moses, I will bless Israel if Israel follows my laws, which they didn't, but Jesus is the perfect Israelite who followed the law to a T to, f- to fulfill the covenant for us. Same thing with David. Jesus is in the line of David. It is is the king of kings. In other words, Jesus became the faithful partner that we weren't. Jesus has taken up the slack Now some of you are thinking like, okay, this is a good history lesson, it's good information about covenants, but why is it important to us today? Here's why I think it's important for us today. We lack an understanding of what real commitment is and the world is trying to teach us that commitment can be broken and it should not be. We should be working towards a common goal. Think marriage as an example. What's the common goal of marriage? To stay married forever, to take the best things from both people and express those things over a lifetime and bear one another's burdens forever. That's the common goal. What's the common goal with God that he's inviting us into, into this new covenant? It's to take the greatest things that God has to offer and to bring them on the earth to help you, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, That's God's common goal. He's, he's inviting us into this new covenant. We have a role in this. Not an obligation, but an opportunity. I, I bring this up. I think this is so important for a, a few reasons, and then we'll talk about some practical ways that we can partner with God. I, I bring this up because I wonder how many of us i've done this in my life how many of us are still living out of the old covenant that you are so focused on your previous sin and are convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that god could never use you that is a lie Jesus came to die on a cross to take your previous sin and separate those so God cannot see those and you are free and invited into a partnership. Stop putting Jesus on the cross every time you look at your old sin and live in the new covenant. I got a little fiery, sorry. Some of us are, I've done this one, some of us are living in a new covenant, but we're living in it like an insurance policy. I've done this, which means, okay, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sin, I'm going to read my Bible every now and again, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but I'm going to wait until I die to get the benefit of being in heaven. No, no. No, there is so much more. God is inviting you into a daily partnership where he says, I have some of the greatest things for you that you need, and there are people around you that can use that. We have a role in the new covenant. It's a partnership that God is inviting us into. It's not a job, it's, an ob- it's not an obligation, it's an invitation into something greater than you could ever ask or imagine. So what's, what's, what's our role? There's three things that I want to hit. There's three practical things that I think we could partner with God on. And the first is loving God. What a revelation, right? It's the first commandment. So what's our new... The first is to love God really well. I, I don't know about you, but when I refreshed my understanding of the covenant nature of God, it renewed a new love I have for him. It was a new understanding of how amazing he was. Not only did he die on the cross for my sins, he made up for the lack in all of history for me to have partnership with him every single day. That is something that I should express thanks back to him. This is really practical. What does this look like? In my life. This means enjoying worship. Like like really deeply seated in my heart that I enjoy worshiping God. I enjoy reading my Bible, spending time with him. In the previous service, I wasn't going to say it this service, but I felt another prompting that I should say it. You know what the manliest thing to do is? Pause. This is for the guys. Do you want to know what the manliest, just my opinion, the manliest thing to do Wake up at 6 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, get in the prayer room here at church, and bend your knee towards the Savior and say, I love you. It's just a deep understanding of how much love we should be pouring out on him. Second thing, we should love others. This isn't just because it's the second commandment. You can't read the Bible and walk away and think you don't have a role. Like God is interested in people that are around us, people that are broken, confused. They are the down and out. They are poor, sick, widowed, and they need help. And for some reason, God could do absolutely anything because he's sovereign. And for some crazy reason, he looks down to us and says, come on, partnership, will you help out? Will you love others? Like really show love. And we don't do it out of an obligation. We do it from an overflowing heart. You start loving God really well and you get filled with the love of God. You know what will happen? That will pour out naturally in other people. We have a part to play. The last one is listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. We we get a new spirit within us. It's the Holy Spirit. And and here's what the Holy Spirit generally does for Christians. is when you're moving towards something that you shouldn't be doing. Maybe it's a sin. He pokes you. And he's trying to guide us throughout. All right, don't do that. It's going to hurt. It's not going to end well. And so the Holy Spirit prompts. And I believe the Holy Spirit is prompting us more regularly than we realize to invite us to love people around us. If it's family, maybe he's inviting us to pause and pray about family, to do some nice act of service for the family member that drives you crazy. You want to change the corporate world? Follow the Holy Spirit in the corporate world and crazy things will happen. The world needs to see the fruit of a group of people who express the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The world needs to see the peace, the love, the forbearance, the patience, the goodness, the faithfulness of a group of people following Jesus. God is regularly inviting us into partnership in the new covenant. And we have, I believe for us, we have something to learn about commitment, again, afresh from God. That he is a God that has a high level, an infinite level of commitment for us, and we should have a renewed sense of commitment within the world because what the world's trying to get us to commit to is crazy. So God's approach to covenants shows his relentless pursuit of partnership and his willingness to bridge the gap. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to move into a time of prayer.